Lord God, we are so thankful that you are a God who speaks, that you've spoken to us in your Son and through your Word and by your Spirit. Father, would you help us dwell in these rich and beautiful words today? Uh, Would you help us to see your Son more clearly? Would you help us to see ourselves more clearly? Uh, And the great offer of hope uh, that you extend. May the words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Uh, Newsflash, there's just one week until until Christmas. One week, seven days, 168 hours. (laughs) You can already tell it... Across this room, we are all stuck in the tunnel, right? We are stuck in the tunnel looking down to the light that is Christmas. Now, for some of us, for some of us, we're anxious as we're stuck in this tunnel. You know, we're thinking about all of the things that we have to do in those 168 hours, the presents that we have yet to decide, let alone buy, the food that we're not sure is going to be on the shelves of the supermarket when we turn up to buy strawberries. We don't know how much it's going to cost. We don't know where we will be necessarily. We might be missing family who are across the world or in a different city that we can't make it to this year. We may be worried about loved ones being unwell. COVID just turning our plans upside down. We are stuck in the tunnel. We're anxious for the planners amongst us We're comfortable. We're just relieved at this point. The presents have been bought for months. They are wrapped, ready to be distributed in person or have been couriered weeks ago. The kids are done with school. Work is fading into the background. Life is good. The sun will eventually shine. We're positive of it. But we're stuck in the tunnel right now, waiting for that to happen, aren't we? And this is how we go through our lives, isn't it? We are in the tunnel looking forward to that thing. If it isn't isn't Christmas, it's something else. It's that other holiday. It's the weekend. It's, you know, I can handle the crazy right now. I can handle an intense year because the light at the end of the tunnel is coming. And that's how hope works. It's great. It's a wonderful thing to be living in hope of that good to come because hope carries us through the mess right now. Everything is okay. Well, it's not okay, but everything is okay because it will be. That's how hope works. But today as we dig into Isaiah and as we kind of wrap it up in Luke's gospel... Uh, The question is raised for us, will that thing that we are hoping for, will it satisfy? Will Will it carry us far enough? And when we get there, will it actually deliver? You see, because in Isaiah's, uh, in the book of Isaiah, what he's been doing, this prophet hundreds of years before Jesus comes, has been pulling back the layers kind of one by one pulling back the layers of everything that is wrong with this world. He's he's showing us the depth of darkness and our desperate need for hope. And only once he's shown us that, will he then move from that darkness to hope. 
But in order to understand and appreciate the hope when we get to it, we first have to, have to grapple with darkness. You see, just like a diamond really comes into its own and sparkles under the light, it's against a dark back cloth, isn't it? And it's only once we've taken stock of the gloom, of the darkness, that we can really appreciate the movement from darkness to light and from gloom to joy. Isaiah, it's a book filled with darkness, with these little glimmers of hope that pierce through. It's dark because Isaiah wants us to see things for how they really are. Now, it's written... Uh, for the people who first received his prophecies as he spoke them, for the people of Israel, for God's people. But there's a sense in which as we read it, we can see he's really got his finger on the pulse, even of our lives today right here in Wellington. Listen to some of the things he says about his people in his time. You guys are as stupid as an ox. It's one of my favorites. This is a place filled with corruption, rebellion, a delight in meaninglessness. You are unjust and you ignore the vulnerable. This is Isaiah speaking to his people. But in a sense, you can feel that a little bit ourselves, can't you? And it's a bit, you know, it's a bit pointy. Isaiah goes on. He says, this is why, okay, The darkness, it isn't actually just this thing out there. It's actually part of you. That's what he wants us to see. That's why we can't deal with this darkness ourselves. We can't move from darkness to light ourselves. Maybe this is why we're so pessimistic about things and about where things are heading. The cost of living, the housing crisis about getting COVID or avoiding it a second time, or is that now a third time we're trying to avoid it? Why does it seem like conflict is escalating around the globe? Why are we the most lonely we've ever been? You know, I can pull my phone out and I can message anyone I have ever known. And yet we're lonely. So maybe... Just maybe, maybe Isaiah is onto something here. So if you flick back a couple of pages, back to Isaiah chapter 1, and in verse 2, he says this, he makes this diagnosis. Hear me, you heavens, listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. Ultimately, the problems we face, the struggles of life, the lack of satisfaction in the things we look forward to, it all comes back to this. It's that we were raised as children of God and we rebelled. We said thanks, but no thanks. For Isaiah, the original audience uh, this prophecy kind of spelled uh, or looked to the superpower of the day, to Assyria, sweeping in like a flood. This is a kind of devastating destruction. 
And, and just like in Isaiah's day, it's not the daily struggle that uh, that isn't our problem. Okay, it's the problem that one day a bigger judgment is coming. A, a judgment that will be fully, will, will be final. Uh, and that's a depressing thought, isn't it? You know, you all thought, oh, let's go to Christmas carols. It'll be fun, they said. Uh, but, but hang in there, okay? Because as we keep looking through Isaiah, and as we turn back to Isaiah 9, flick back with me now. So Isaiah 9, we see that Isaiah wants to show us this massive movement, this great movement from darkness to light, from gloom to joy. And the light, it really pops. It really, it really pops as we look at it against that, that gloomy and dark background, just like the diamond we talked about earlier. Because in this, we see the promise of hope. A hope, a hope that will make that any diamond pale into insignificance. So look down at verse 2 with me. Isaiah 9 verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Uh, there's something phenomenal about watching the sun rise. It's beautifully captured in that painting. Um, thank you for that beautiful gift. But there's something about watching it, isn't it? I used to get up early uh, back before the Four Little Mischief Makers uh, and go out and take photographs of those kinds of sunrises because they kind of hold you spellbound as you watch darkness just kind of be penetrated by beautiful warm light. Uh, maybe not in Wellington, but the, the, the warmth of sun cuts through still air. Um, Warmth and still air, not really Wellington things, but uh, maybe when autumn comes around. But it's beautiful, it's captivating, it's energizing as you see this transformation. But maybe the most beautiful thing about that movement is the most obvious. It's that where there is light, well, where there's light, there's no darkness, is there? This is the hope that Isaiah promises, that the, the darkness, the messiness, the brokenness of life, of us, of me, and of you, it will be beaten. It will be transformed. It will move to light and joy and hope. This is the hope of the Christian message, a, a message of great light dawning and joy increasing. Rejoicing, like in the plenty of harvest we see in Isaiah 9, as sharing the spoils of victory because war is gone. And this light, because we've already seen that inside of us it's just darkness, that means the light has to come from outside of us, doesn't it? It can't come from within. Did you see? Verse 3. You, that is God, have enlarged the nation. You have increased their joy. They rejoice before you. This is the first movement 
A movement from darkness to light, from gloom to joy. And it's all being orchestrated by God. You see, and in verses 4 and 5, Isaiah's next movement is kind of painted out for us. This movement is from defeat to victory, from war to peace. Look with me at verse 5. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Have you noticed how many causes we have that we're invited to join and take up and participate in? Uh, The war on drugs, on terror, uh, the war on want, on gangs, uh, on weeds, uh, particularly relevant for my garden, uh, on waste, recycle, 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 causes that we're invited to pick up. But Isaiah says, go into battle all you like. Try to fix the brokenness through one cause followed by the other all the way through. One battle at a time. But, but these campaigns, they'll never bring victory. They'll never bring, well, they just actually bring defeat, don't they? We haven't won the war on drugs. We haven't ended the war on terror. Uh, the weeds are still, still there in my garden. There's still gangs in our city. Defeat. But Isaiah is saying the day is coming when there will be no more. There will be no more war on anything. There will be no more causes to pick up, to try and beat the darkness that seems to crowd in over us. Because of this movement, this movement from defeat to victory, from war to peace. Did you see in verse 5, the war is over. The battle has ended so fully and so finally that all of the implements of war... You know, that choicely picked piece of wood to make us the perfect spear that you could throw the perfect distance with accuracy. You know what it is now? Firewood. That's it. Just firewood. Because peace is coming. But, but peace is coming from where you might not expect Okay, because again, just like the defense strategy of New Zealand, we look outside. We have our five planes, but we look to everyone else's planes because they are what will get us through. But Isaiah, he points to peace coming from outside. He points to peace coming from, well, it's, it's another movement. Uh, this time it's, it's a movement at the center of the movement around which the whole of history moves. And he shows us the center of this movement. And it's a little baby. Verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You see, in these verses, we meet the central character 
of hope. Central character of Christmas, a baby. Not a better strategy, vision, or plan. Not better firepower uh, or a better cause to take up. No, no, a child is born. A son is given. Born because he's a man. He is human. Given because he's God. Made man. It's what we call the incarnation. God entering into his creation and becoming man. But look further down, verse 6. He is mighty God, a royal baby, a baby in the line of kings that stretch back to the greatest king that God's people have ever seen, a king named David. Now, why is that significant? Well, it's significant because, because God made a promise to David. In 2 Samuel 7, if you want to look up later, God made a promise that in David's line there would be a son, There would be a son who would be a king who would rule forever, who would deal with sin and death fully and finally, who would deal with pain and suffering forever. It would be gone. He would deal with the darkness that we saw earlier. And this, in Isaiah 9, is that son. This is the child. This is the child at the center around which the whole of history moves. And so we wait, don't we? We join Isaiah in waiting with bated breath, waiting for this child that he's talking about, waiting until those words that we read from the Gospel of Luke were first spoken 2,000 years ago. So come with me back to Luke chapter 1. Now, now Luke... Uh, Luke is one of the biographies of this child, of Jesus. Uh, Luke is a doctor. He has a medical background. He is kind of, like, fascinated with precision. He has an analytical mind, kind of exploring how the body works and how to heal it. He's concerned with accuracy, with meticulous precision and detailed diagnoses. This is Luke. And yet, in the first chapter of Luke's gospel... As Jesus has announced, Luke kind of throws this cold, clinical, kind of medical background aside, and he breaks into song. He can't help but do it. Because this is Jesus, the center of the movement around which the whole of history moves. He's so overwhelmed at the joy that these events, that the birth of Jesus brings. Did you notice how the song kind of picks up on Isaiah chapter 9, verse 68. Praise be to the God, uh, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn, salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Verse 76. And you, my child, this is Jesus, you will be called a prophet of the Most High. Verse 79, to shine on those living in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the path of peace. This child, it's Jesus. He's right at the center of the hope that was promised through Isaiah. And he's the center of this movement of hope. He's the one who will deal with darkness and bring about joy. He is the one that will take the weight of sin and judgment that the world deserved. 
He is the one that will pay the penalty on a cruel cross, the cross of his death. Facing not just the pain of nails driven through his hands, but the wrath of God on our behalf. He is the one who moves gloom to joy, darkness to light. He is the one who moves defeat to victory and war to peace. And this, this is extraordinary, okay? Because he moves for us. All of those movements are for us. Did you notice? To us, a child is given. To us, a son is given. So what does all this mean for us? Two things. Firstly, it, it means that hope produces joy. Can you see how significant these movements are? How amazing this child is that the peace and the joy that overflow from him. This is one of the things I love about... <sighs> this is one of the things I love about being part of this church is that we are a joyful people. Uh, many of you know this has been a hard year for us. But I know for many of you, this has been a hard year for you too. And yet... We are joyful people because of the hope that we have because of this child. You see, and as Rachel and I finish our time here, as we move on to serving God in a different place with another family, well, my prayer for you is that this joy is something that still marks you here. A joy that you and we have because we've seen and understood the depths of the darkness that Isaiah speaks about. But then we've turned and looked at Jesus and seen the movement to light, to joy, to peace. You know, you'd think that a gathering of people who've understood the depths of darkness and, and have dwelt on the brokenness of this world, you'd think it would be a gloomy place, wouldn't you? You'd think there would be a downcast bunch. But we've also seen the move from darkness to light, from war to peace. We've seen hope. We've seen Jesus. But can I say, keep holding that hope. Keep letting it produce joy. Secondly, how do we respond to this child? You see, if this amazing child really was born, if, if he really is wonderful counselor, mighty God, if he really has dealt with all of the yuck that we bring, all of our sin and brokenness, if he really has come from outside, how are you going to respond to him? Right, maybe today's the first time you've really seen that. You've really thought about this child and what he might mean for you. Maybe there's more you need to explore about Jesus and the Christian life and message. We'd love to journey with you in that. That's what the, the Hope Explored course is all about. 
So if you haven't really dug into who this child is and the hope that he offers, then come along to that um, and check him out. Why not set aside the time in January, just chuck it in your diary now and go, I'm going to be there. Because if this is the real deal, then this matters. It'd be a travesty to leave here today, having sung a couple of carols, to drink some coffee, enjoyed some Christmas pies. I'm told they'll be out there later. I'm looking forward to them. But to walk straight past Jesus, what a travesty. Just staring down the tunnel, looking for that light at the end. But a light that may never deliver. What a travesty. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that you would blow our minds with these amazing movements from gloom and darkness to light and joy, from defeat and conflict to peace, peace with each other, but even more importantly, peace with you. Would you blow us away with that hope? Because at the center of these movements, at the center of where the whole of history is moving, is this child you've given us, this son, this wonderful counselor, mighty God, Prince of Peace. And he's Jesus. Father, this Christmas, would you, would you stop us from just walking straight past Jesus? Would you cause the hope he brings to well up inside of us and produce real joy, even when life is really hard? Would you help us consider who your son is and what he brings? Would you help us to respond to him well, whether for the first time or the hundredth? Amen.